everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Let's Read Out. Everyone has been enjoying the new Case of the Week segments as much as I have enjoyed making them and editing them. It's been so fun bringing people together and incorporating new voices here on the podcast. This episode is again a little different. No cases, no images, no readout pearls. Volumes seem to be at a record high, not just on call, but day to day. Some readouts look a little bit differently, especially with COVID surges. We are trying to be more safe and socially distant. So we are in times going back to remote readouts and Zoom readouts. We are also entering the second half of the year and some junior trainees are still trying to get get a handle on call and maybe taking nights for the very first time. My guest today on the podcast is my good friend, Dr. Jen Padwal. She is an R2 here at Stanford University and she has known me since I was a resident when she was a medical student at University of California, San Diego. She had a number of great questions and I've assembled a stellar panel of fellows and attendings who I think might be able to help us better understand uh, how to tackle complex cases, some Zoom readouts, as well as how to better manage efficiency, accuracy, and our speed. So welcome to the show, Dr. Jen Padwal. Hi, Lindsay. My name is Jen, and I'm a second-year resident. I'm a longtime fan of your podcast, and I wanted to ask a few questions about call and readouts. How can I improve my speed while maintaining accuracy in my reports? Jen, first of all, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And I want to assure you that this is a normal feeling, uh, feeling as though you're behind or maybe slower than others or maybe too fast. It's hard to find that very delicate balance. But again, I want to assure you that this is a very normal question. And I still struggle with it as an attending and trying to find that middle ground. My personal advice is I like to preview as much as possible. So as those images are transferring over, I'm not waiting until the study is complete or verified. I'm looking at it sometimes as it's coming over in piecemeal. Uh, When I talk to my sonographers before I even talk to them, I'm previewing the case. And then when they call and we discuss the case, I'm looking at it again. For CT examinations, the same thing goes. We have multiple different phases and sequences. And again, I am not waiting until the last minute. Um, sometimes, Sometimes it's busy and you don't have time to preview. But when you get a chance, I would say previewing very much helps. The second piece of advice I can't claim as my own, it comes from Dr. Katie Fowler from University of California, San Diego, and she would always say, we have limited neurons as humans and we get tired as the study, as we read the study, and making sure that you're you're focusing on the clinical question from the get-go. So if the clinician is asking appendicitis, I don't I don't wait until the very end to to check the appendix. I also sometimes, after I've looked at a study, I will make my impression first 
and uh, then go back and fill in the body of the report. I'd like to hear from some of our other experts and see if, if they maybe have some different ideas. Hello everyone, my name is William Hong and I'm one of the Body MRI Fellows at Stanford. My main suggestion is to focus on developing a good search pattern and sticking to it consistently. Both speed and accuracy will come with experience, seeing more cases, and developing your knowledge base during residency. I do think being under a little bit of pressure is healthy and helpful because that's what real life radiology is like, but don't ever sacrifice accuracy or cut corners to obtain even more speed because you'll only make more mistakes faster and also negatively affect your education that way. Over time, you should have your own internal gauge of how fast is reasonable for you, and you should aim to go through the cases efficiently at that speed so you can see enough cases to learn, but also actually take the time to learn from those cases effectively. Hi everyone, my name is Komal. I'm a body radiology fellow at Stanford University. So if you're a radiology resident and you are struggling to balance accuracy of your reports and speed of your reporting, let me first say, you know, this takes a lot of patience and a lot of practice. Speed is something that is going to come with time. It's going to develop during your training. Early on, I think you need to go a little easy on yourself as far as, far as speed goes. But accuracy is something that really takes conscious effort. So I really recommend, especially early in your training, to prioritize uh, making a conscious effort effort towards the accuracy of your report. Um, and then as you progress um, and you develop more speed, you're going to learn to triage your studies in a call situation. So for example, if you open a study, you know you've got a huge list um, that you have to take care of. Look at the emergent findings first and answer the clinical question first. Um, and then everything else kind of comes secondary to that. So learn to triage your study. Um, and then I think the most important point for speed is that there's just no substitute for volume, which means the more studies you read, the faster you're going to get. There's really no other uh, proven way to develop speed. So as you take more call and even as you do moonlighting shifts, that's where you're going to develop your speed. Um, I hope that helps. Hello, everybody. My name is Aman Karana. I am an assistant professor of radiology at University of Kentucky, and I was a former body fellow at Stanford back in 2018-2019. Most radiologists want to go faster, but losing accuracy for speed doesn't serve you well. Even in private practice, if clinicians don't trust your reports because you're missing obvious findings, it's really hard to salvage your reputation. I would stick to the search pattern, know your weak spots, like bowel, mesentery, DVT, and learn from every hard case to recognize the pattern of disease. Hello, my name is Dr. Lu Yaoxin. I'm a clinical assistant professor in radiology at Stanford University. First topic I'm going to talk about is advice for residents who are struggling to maintain speed and accuracy and how to get faster without losing accuracy. Well, this topic is very interesting because I think there are Everybody is very different 
everybody has different working style and a learning style. So I'm going to divide this topic into talking about two general populations of trainees or clinicians in general. First group, I'm going to talk about those who are very meticulous scientists and uh, sometimes um, can be a little bit OCD about details. These people tend to be a little bit slower, but tend to have better quality reports or thought process. So I would say for um, this kind of trainee that um, while it is very important to get all the findings um, as much as accurate as possible and as I would say pretty in description as possible, sometimes it's just not necessary especially when you have 50 other scans to read through and you cannot go home if your list is not clean. That's true for the fellows, but not necessary for the residents. So I would say in this case, um, focus on what is clinically relevant. So non-obstructive punctate kidney stones may not be so relevant and especially does not need to be measured individually. So things like that sub-centimeter reactive lymph nodes there are you know they could be everywhere in the mesentery in the pelvis inguinal lymph inguinal region these lymph nodes do not need measurements nor individually talked about um, you know in most of the clinical scenario so stay to what is relevant and describe the relevant findings um, you know quote unquote beautifully as you will but forget about these unrelevant findings and you can just lump them all together in one sentence or two then you have to stand back and look at all the relevant findings and synthesize i think synthesis for body imagers is very very important the abdominal cavity or abdominal pelvic cavity has multiple organs and a lot of spaces and if you can explain everything by one etiology um, then that's where our brain work comes in. Really, what can be um, the diagnosis that includes all the findings relevant here. So I think that is um, an important part of the work that you need to take some time on. Um, granted, that time is taken um, from saving the time doing the other not important findings. Wow, those were some incredible words of wisdom from our panel and I think we can all agree that a search pattern is very important. I also really appreciate Dr. Shen's advice that you know measuring every sub-centimeter mesenteric lymph node um, is while accurate uh, is definitely not helpful to one's speed. Uh, Dr. Shen, I was also hoping that you could address the other side of the coin and people who are going way too fast, finishing, um, but, but very much losing accuracy. I know some trainees aspire and, and desire to be like their colleagues very fast, but they may not realize that they're actually missing quite a bit. Can you address that point? The other side of trainees who are, tend to be very fast, I was born that way. I was very rushed and fast in my entire life. But we tend to make careless mistakes or, you know, 
walk away from findings that should be important, but we didn't catch up. So for people like us, then sometimes we just need to slow down. You know, be calm and slow down. Really take the time to look at each organ and space carefully. Then find these relevant findings before jumping into conclusion. So in this case, I would actually advise to slow down instead of uh, getting faster because you're sacrificing accuracy over speed. And so, but these people, you know, we have to understand missing something important is a very big deal. And that's, this is why when you're taking call, when you're on your own, um, doing your own reports, and once you missed something and it was caught either clinically or by one of your colleagues who showed you the case, then you really have to take the energy time and make sure you go over the findings that you missed and never miss those again. Then you will be a very good clinician um, in the long run. So these are my advice uh, for the first topic. I think this will be really helpful on call. I completely agree, Jen. I think those were some really great and diverse answers that others can really benefit from. Let's move on to your next question. In this era of virtual readouts, how can I maintain an efficient teaching environment with my attendings while maximizing my own learning opportunities? Given the option, I would always prefer an in-person readout because it's more engaging. But nowadays, Zoom readouts are part of our reality. Because you're not looking at the same physical screen, use lots of image numbers or arrows to try and recreate that in-person experience as much as possible. And the next piece of advice I have goes for not just Zoom readouts, but readouts in general. Our education is a shared responsibility, so take the initiative to ask questions. Our faculty have so much knowledge to offer but sometimes they just need a bit of encouragement. It's not easy to just start teaching unprompted, especially if they haven't worked with you that much and you're not quite sure where you're at. Now that we are a couple of years into this pandemic, I think it's safe to say that pretty much every educational institution out there has transitioned to Zoom instruction. Um, and in radiology, where we have always relied on in-person workstation teaching, we also have to transition to Zoom. Um, so it's important to do some things to make sure that you maximize your education uh, during these sessions. Um, and I think number one tip here is to make sure that you focus yourself, put away your phone, put away any distractions, and try to treat your Zoom readouts just like an in-person readout as much as possible. Um, I think uh, one of the things that's important to, to realize is that over Zoom, your attending doesn't have the physical cues that they would have if they were in person. So they may not know that you need to ask something, that you're, that you're still typing and fixing your report. So communicate with your attending. Hey, I need you to just slow down. Um, oh, I have a question about this. Like, interrupt them if you need to, because again, they don't have those physical cues to go off of. So you just have to kind of speak up. Um, and then I also always um, advise people to use the really good functions that Zoom actually has. One of the really good functions is being able to give somebody else control over your screen. So if you are sharing your case and reading out with the attending, 
Your attending can electronically ask permission to control your cursor, and that way they can scroll through the study and show you different structures. Um, I think that that makes the the interaction a lot more um, interactive and more lifelike, basically. Um, and in fact, you can even draw on the Zoom screen itself. Um, so if your attending is showing you a specific structure or finding, you know, they can draw arrow to it or they can circle it and things like that as well. So make use of those functions. Zoom readouts are not fun for anybody, but they're used in desperate times like now. My advice would be to play around with the annotate feature when asking a question to the attending who has the screen control when reading out over Zoom. I would keep your eyes on the Zoom screen while jotting notes with paper or pen or electronic means so you get to understand how the attending navigates the case. I think it's a really important skill which is rarely talked about. I would also do a quick recap session in your head after the readout finishes to recognize what anatomical items were focused on specific cases, what you failed to recognize, and what you nailed. I think this topic needs to be uh, broken, broken down into several aspects as well. It all depends on what style you're most comfortable with. But what's more importantly is what kind of learning style is the trainee that you're working with. Um, so for trainees, you know, I'll break down into, again, two groups. The more independent ones who can learn majority of the knowledge on their own and who probably prefer to work independently um, as well with less hand-holding. I think for these trainees, um, it is easier to do a Zoom readout. I think a lot of times if there is a very easy, simple study that is at or below their level of um, expertise, I think it could be easily done just by grabbing those studies, um, you know, go through it yourself, and then just sign it off as an attending. If you find some minor things, you can just text um, or talk to the trainee briefly about so they can improve. Um, I would say if they did miss some major findings and definitely need to um, talk about in person or via some screen sh uh, sharing capability to show them the finding and how to improve. I um, think those trainees also need to be more upfront about, hey, do you feel comfortable with this case or do you feel you're not comfortable with the case? Um, that way, then we can spend more time on the cases that the trainees are not comfortable with and go through details versus if they're easy cases that the trainee are very comfortable with, um, then just spend less time and even no time on those studies if the reports are good. So on the other hand, there are trainees who just need a little bit more hand-holding, um, especially you know during their first year, which is horrible. Uh, facing a pandemic and also starting a residency. I think in these residents, um, more hand-holding is definitely necessary. I would say during a Zoom readout, try to make it as much as realistic as in-person in as possible. Share the screens, show the prior studies, lined up the studies on um, all the sharing capability, and then with the first years, I always go through 
um, either through a, you know a pre-recorded video or myself in person, the search pattern. Because for radiology residents, knowing anatomy and also developing a good search pattern um, during the first year is very important. So scrolling through the images of how the attendings would read the images is very important for the trainees to see. And what organs to do and what to include is abdominal wall important? Yes, it is. And how to do it in a more efficient pattern um, since it is a big space. So things like that. Then once you know a search pattern is developed, then you can be a little bit quicker on scrolling through the images. And sometimes pre-read is helpful. So looking at the cases independently without bothering the trainee can be helpful and also to speed up and also make the readout more efficient and more interesting. Because um, then you don't spend 20 minutes looking at something that's not, that's just part of your search pattern, but without interesting findings and the trainee might be falling asleep on the other side of the computer or think, hey, you know, I could have done another two studies. Um, so, so things like that, I would say individualize between the trainee and the attending who's reading out. Be very upfront, talk about um, what is personal need when it's related to learning and how to read out, and then try to accommodate um, the trainee's learning style, and then also um, picking up what the training is lacking or what the trainee is doing well and then try to spend more time in the areas that the trainee need to have more improvement. So that's how I would um, talk about this topic. Thank you, everyone. Those were some really great and interesting ways for both attendings as well as residents and trainees to remain engaged in, in remote readouts. As a new attending, I think this is some great advice, especially from Dr. Shen. There's really no one-size-fits-all uh, approach, and I think that this style of really adapting to the trainee's needs um, could be applied even not during Zoom readouts and, and remote readouts that um, it it should fluctuate depending on the learner and really both parties um, shouldn't be afraid to ask for what they need and especially trainees you know um, being very very candid uh, with the attending and, and not being afraid to um, ask ask for a specific agenda. Jen why don't you move on to your third and final question. How can I efficiently handle complex inpatient cases on call? My first and foremost tip for complex inpatient body cases is to gather good history. These inpatient cases are complex, but they become easier if you know exactly what surgery was performed, when the surgery was performed, what anastomoses were performed, and what the surgeons are looking for. Fortunately, 60 to 70% of the inpatient cases revolve around intra-abdominal abscesses, peritonitis from bowel leak, bowel obstruction, bowel ischemia. So maybe change your search pattern to look for bowel and mesentery first and then look at everything else. 
So my own search pattern for these cases actually starts from the rectum, goes all the way up to the colon, to the ileocecal valve, and then I look at stomach and duodenum before looking at small bowel in a quadrant-specific search pattern. This way, you have an answer to the clinician who calls you in after 30 minutes when they have no idea you're dealing with stroke codes and EDCTs, et cetera. But one word of caution, you will have to get fast at looking at everything else once you look at bowel mesentery, which is most commonly involved in these inpatient cases. You do not want to go down the rabbit hole and do a satisfaction of search error in these cases. Thank you. Um, but what I found difficult was a lot of those high-end inpatient post-surgical up um, abscess formation, complication, these patients, their CT is very complex. And um, without reading it a lot in residency or have the confident level of prelim a um, nice report on those, I found that that was the hardest, that was the steep, most steep learning curve for me to really how to manage a super complex post-op inpatient study. And you just, at the beginning, just have to take the time again, very systematically go through the search pattern you created, find all the findings in every organ, every space, and then take a step back, synthesize the big picture. Again, stay clinically relevant. Otherwise you get lost. Clinicians get lost and you forgot what you're supposed to look for in the big picture. Then the other hard thing about body fellowship is oncology imaging because we just do so many. The volume plus the complexity in the tertiary center at Stanford or UCLA where you're trained, when you put these two together, it can be very overwhelming at the beginning. Again, use the same strategy. Find the findings systematically and step back and synthesize a big picture. But stay clinically relevant. I think eventually you will gain speed and increase accuracy as well. I entirely agree with Dr. Karana's assessment. You start to develop a pattern for, even though these are complex inpatient uh, exams, you start to notice, okay, this is post-Whipple examination. We're going to be looking for dehiscence, leak, um, arterial extravasation. You also want to spend some time what I call chart biopsying, and really these are, especially at our medical center, these cases are extremely complex surgeries that have never been performed before, rarely performed, they're cutting edge, and so really spending five minutes uh, going through the epic chart and not going in blind to the case, I, I think that's really detrimental, but reading the operative report, uh, reading the most recent um, progress note, why is this examination being ordered, and really providing additional history and supplemented history uh, really goes a long way. I think we're going to wrap up here. That's a lot to digest, uh, just from a few short questions. Thank you, everyone. I am incredibly grateful to William, Komal, Lou, and Amon, and, and Jen for always being uh, such amazing colleagues and supporting my ideas 
and just helping me grow my podcast. So thank you so much to everyone. If anyone has any comments, concerns, please don't hesitate to reach out. And I look forward to the next episode. Thanks so much. Thank you.